thanks for pressing play on the Third Shift Entrepreneur Podcast, where we teach you how to build your dream job while keeping your day job. I'm the show's executive producer and co-host, Iron Mike Stedman, a Third Shift Entrepreneur with a knack for boxing, social impact, and podcasting. In this episode, Todd and I discuss how you can redefine and evaluate risk by cutting back on your monthly expenses, determining your monopoly advantage, and generating revenue sooner rather than later, you can offset many of the risks associated with launching a business. No more excuses. It's time to get to work. Let's go. Hey, everybody, this is Todd Connor, and you're listening to the Third Shift Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm so glad you're with us. We're talking about how to start stuff. And like really real talk, how to start stuff, not not fancy <laughs> business school language, not intimidating sort of Silicon Valley playbooks on how to scale, but real people starting real stuff. And I'm with my friend, my colleague here, my co-host, my co-pilot, Mike Stedman. Mike, what's going on, brother? What's going on, Todd? Excited to be here again. Yeah, real stuff. I mean, I we were talking last night about real people. I feel like something's gotten lost in the whole entrepreneurship conversation where you know, actually there's data on this, that it's like the number one major in a lot of top business schools. And so it's celebritized. People are excited about it. It's cool. And yet fewer people generationally are starting businesses than they ever have before. So something is getting lost. What's, what's your take on that? Why, why is this not, why aren't more people not doing this? I think realistic expectations, right? Like again, for the real entrepreneurs, you know, it's like when you meet someone who's an entrepreneur and you've known each other for a while, you're like, how's it going? They're not telling you how great it is. Oh man, we're kicking butt. This is rock and rolling. For real, for entrepreneurs, like it's more like, man, I'm in the hustle. You know, or that silent head nod because it's just, it's really hard. It takes a lot of work. Um, it's not as sexy and glamorized as people think it is, at least not early on. You know, mm -hmm. you go to a marketplace, right? Like Pont City Market in Atlanta or even in Brooklyn where I'm at it up here in New York City metro area. You know, you see the micropreneurs, right? They got their little booth set up, got the nice branding, the jams, uh, the leather. And, you know, once the, sh the stuff breaks down afterwards and the festival ends or the marketplace closes, you see them loading stuff up in their cars. You know, you see them taking Ubers and then you find out that they keep product at their house. And it's just not what you're taught, I think, at these, these places, these business schools. They're not talking about what it's like to really build something from the ground up. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. And I think the problem with um, when we listen to entrepreneur stories, you know, you get kind of the glossy version that is told in retrospect about how the thing was successful. And I, I think in a lot of times when when we hear these stories that, that people share, um, you know, there's a couple of things. One is like, they'll usually acknowledge it was hard, but but they don't always acknowledge like some of the hidden advantages that they had, you know. Um, I mean, I'm always interested in the step that people skip over. It's like, well, I moved to Silicon Valley for the summer to, to figure out if I could, you know, to go talk to investors. And I'm like, wait, hold up. Like, how'd you afford to do that? <laughs> like, did you work at Starbucks while you were there? Or like, were your parents paying for you? You know, because that's a, that's a non-trivial detail for a lot of people. It's like, well, what do you mean you just packed up and went to Silicon Valley? Like, how do you do that? You know, like, how, how does a real person that doesn't have money in the bank do that? And so... I think we miss some of the honesty in some of these stories. Um, I also think that there's a lot of people that are out there starting stuff, but they just don't identify as entrepreneurs. And I would actually be a little bit skeptical of people that are like, I'm an entrepreneur. If that's your headline, I think that's, that's really flawed. That's because that's like, 
that's an identity status that you're trying to associate with, but that has nothing to do with the problem you're solving. Like your headline ought to be like, I, you know, I'm a boxer or I help kids learn boxing or I help veterans start businesses. Um, and if you're chasing entrepreneurship, you're chasing the wrong thing. And so I think we got to reclaim some language around this. Um, yeah. I mean, the title of the book is third shift entrepreneur <laughs> and that's still cool to people. People want to be entrepreneurs, but I, I want to, I want people to feel like it's not as intimidating, um, it, you know, and it's hard, but it's doable. Um, but we got to talk about it differently is my, is my current thinking. Full transparency, Todd. I don't have it on my headline, but I do identify myself as an entrepreneur because I don't have any other way to describe what it is I do in terms of my side hustles. Yeah. It's like I do boxing, I do podcasts and I do this. And so it's just an easy way for me to explain of like, hey, I'm self-employed, man. I just kind of figure it out. Now, there's a grand vision to what I'm doing, obviously, particularly around Ironbound. But since I'm a social enterprise and I have to do for-profit hustles to cover my expenses, you know, I've just found that that term is just easy for me to say, but I will tell you initially when mm -hmm. I started, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable calling myself an entrepreneur. I'm like, who am I, man? I'm just a guy in his apartment, you know, pretending to start a business. But then the more I've done this and the more I got exposed to even bunker labs and the third shift entrepreneur movement and started to associate in groups and find out what's really going on, you know, that business is a lot of posturing. I felt a lot more comfortable own in that term because I do have some wins and I've, you know, I've done stuff. I'll charge clients, I invoice clients. I've raised a lot of money for my nonprofit. So, you know, I think it's things that we, we grow into, yeah. but for our listeners though, we're going to help them make that journey into entrepreneurship by helping them uh, redefine risk today. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the push. And I, I, um, I think a lot of folks, you know, look, here's the premise. You're out there in the world and you want to start something. And, uh, you know, I, what we don't want is people to get lost in the chasm of, I don't get how I have this idea. I don't get how to turn that into like what I see, you know, the founder of zoom doing, or what I see, uh, the founder of a successful restaurant doing. I don't want you to get lost in the chasm of, of your idea towards like some big outcome that you can't quite figure out how you get there. And so I think, you know, the answer to this is like small steps small steps, incremental wins, uh, discovering what people need, giving it to them on a small scale, maybe doing it for free, and then building into bigger visions. Um, a lot of this comes from being in a place where we're uh, gaining expertise. Uh, I was just reading about the founder of Zoom, and obviously they've had a phenomenal quarter. And there's a lot of companies that are chasing uh, sort of that category of uh, communications as a service, CAS platforms. Um, and, uh, you know, but the guy that started Zoom, you know, had worked at, you know, WebEx, right? So, and, and had deep, deep connections into understanding how these technology platforms are built, deep connections into the networks that support those things. So, you know, people aren't um, coming at this stuff just cold. It's not sitting in your, you know, bedroom being like, you know, I think it'd be, interesting to build a technology platform that people can video chat with each other. Um, you know, unless you're, if you're interested in that, then like go get a job at a technology company that's building that stuff. Like that's step one. Um, so getting ourselves close to the sort of the subject matter of the thing that we're trying to do is, is really important. And um, entrepreneurship isn't jumping out of, you know, it's not jumping off a cliff from where you're at towards some destination that's totally radically different. It's not a reinvention of yourself. 
Um, it should be, it should be like, if we want to give a metaphor for this, it should be like, Hey, I'm, I'm expert at this thing. People know me for this thing. I've got a brand that's built around me for this thing, but I'm going to take a half step to the right and do it on my own terms. So, Hey, you know, me as an expert in personal training, uh, because I, I'm a person, I'm a CrossFit trainer that you've worked with and you know, and I'm good. And you know that. By the way, this is not me. <laughs> this might be you. This is not me. But, you know, if you're out there as a personal trainer, as a CrossFit guy or woman, uh, and that's your brand, you know, opening up your own gym is like, or getting your own clients apart from the gym is like a half step to the right. You know, that's what we're talking about when we talk about starting stuff. It's just taking the platform that you've already built for yourself, that you're already known for. And by the way, if you don't have that platform, then like build that, go get a job doing something that's close to that. That's in the, that's in the domain of that. And then you take these kind of half steps, right? Where you kind of flex your independence. You kind of set, you step out into the world a little bit and be like, Hey, I do this uh, for somebody else, but I'd be happy to do it for you directly. Right. Those are the kind of micro movements that we're talking about when it comes to starting stuff. And I think, you know, risk is um, it's a big conversation. People think, starting a business is risky. Well, it's only risky if you quit your job and dump a bunch of money into something that you don't know how it's going to go. And that's not, that's not being, that's not being like risk. That's just being stupid. I mean, that's, you know, that's dumb. That's not, that's not risky. That's just dumb. <laughs> I guess it's dumb and risky. Uh, but risk, risk is uh, something that we've got to redefine uh, because if you're feeling like nervous, right? So that's an indicator. That's like a, you know, a psychosomatic indicator of risk. Like I'm, I'm, I'm starting to sweat or I'm, I have anxiety or I'm nervous that speaks to uncertainty. Right. And, 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 or something related to like something internal with us. So that we got to listen to that and be like, well, what is, what is making my heart pound right here? And that's an indicator of risk because it's stressing us out, but that's actually uncertainty. And so if we can build an entrepreneurship process that takes away the uncertainty, which is what we ought to be doing, then like the whole thing doesn't become risky anymore. Right. So if, if we're, if we're feeling scared because we're like, I'm going to quit, I have to quit my job and I'm going to lose all my income. Well then don't quit your job. Oh, okay. Well, well then how do I start? Well, you just start, you know, <laughs> like what's the problem you're trying to solve, go solve it. Um, so I think we can, we should talk more about how you, you know, listen to those signals that are telling you, Hey, this is risky, but then like mitigate those things, take those things away. Um, I think what risk boils down to for a lot of people is the reputational risk of saying, going out there and saying, Hey, I'm interested in picking up a client. If you need help with this kind of a thing, will you, will you reach out to me? You know, I think it's those reputational risks that actually hold a lot of people back. But, um, yeah, if you if you if you feel like entrepreneurship's risky because you're placing some huge bet, like you're at the casino, I th I just think you're doing it wrong. I liked your top. I liked the point you brought up about the founder of Zoom, right? Because in a lot of entrepreneurial stories, these successful entrepreneurs, there it seems to be a history there, you know. So for him to build his platform, doing what he's doing with Zoom, having worked at WebEx and having that experience, it's a little less risky than somebody just jumping in out the gate. You know, no background in that. And even for like fitness services, right? I teach boxing. As challenging as it is to build a company built around boxing, 
I think being a three-time national boxing champion and doing it for 15 years makes it just a little less risky for me. So I think for the audience, you know, just understanding there are ways to kind of look internally and put yourself in a position to succeed. De-risk it just a little bit. And there's no guarantee that, hey, you're going to hit this home run, but you will have a better chance if you're operating in a space where you have a little bit of competency, where you have a little bit of experience. If you don't have that, taking the time to go out and develop it, just like you mentioned, Todd. Yeah. And, and I think um, like Mike, with your example, with, you know, the boxing gym, if your if your vision is to, and we talk about this in the book, um, if your vision is to build a boxing gym or across a gym, or you want to open up a coffee shop or you want to, I guess those are all product based, or you want to open up a consulting business, you know, take a strip away the costs from this whole thing. You know, what are the costs and what, what's the infrastructure that you can borrow? So rather than like, you know, signing a lease on your own gym, can you, if you're getting started, can you borrow some infrastructure from an existing gym? You know? Oh, okay. So uh, I was scared of taking out a lease. Well, why do you have to take out a lease? You know, don't, don't take out a lease. Well, how am I going to teach kids how to box? You teach them how to box. You go, you go somewhere else where someone's already got space. You go to the YMCA, you go to, or, uh, you know, I want to open up a coffee shop. Um, okay. Uh, what about popping up a coffee shop inside of an existing sort of space where people get together, by the way, no one's getting together. So that's maybe, you know, hard timing, but what is like small batch delivery of something look like? So we can, the things that are telling us that this is scary or the things that are telling us this is really expensive, we can mitigate those things. We can get creative. We can borrow infrastructure. We can uh, focus on just the one thing that we're trying to do. We should do it at home. We should do it, you know, in small batch. We should sort of put the stuff in our trunk if it's a product. Um, you know, Damon John talks about uh, how he got started with FUBU and it was just, you know, schlepping clothes around and selling them. I, I went to college with the... Um, uh, with, uh, oh, I'm going to blank on his name. The guy that started, um, a fantastic clothing line. I'm blanking on it. Uh, it'll come to me, but you know, he started by, uh, just selling sport coats that were in the color of Northwestern university, our alma mater, uh, Andy Dunn. And, you know, Andy went on and, you know, had a phenomenal successful, uh, uh business and he, uh, you know, oh, Bonobos. He's the CEO of Bonobos. Mm. So Bonobos, you know, and, and Andy, here's the thing. And Andy's like, you know, we were friends in college and, and he worked in marketing, I think. And I'm not exactly sure on his bio, but, you know, he's a smart guy, talented guy. Um, fantastic entrepreneur. He started the business uh, uh, in 2007. And then in June of 2017, Walmart announced that they, that they were purchasing the brand for $310 million in cash. And so, right, like great success story. Uh, and I love the product. I mean, I, I shop at Bonobos. Um, it might be Bonobos. I Bonobos. actually don't know. I call it Bonobos. I could be wrong though with Bonobos. I don't know if it's, <laughs> I don't know if it's Bonobos or Bonobos. Maybe a problem. I'm sure that this, this is regular, a question that they get. But here's the point. I saw Andy at our, uh, I think it was probably our 10 year reunion at Northwestern. This is 2010, three years after he'd started this thing. And, you know, he was there with the product selling blazers like himself for a few hundred bucks, like in the sort of dark Northwestern purple. And I, 
was like, Oh, Andy, what's up, man? Like, how are you? Like, and I'm not tracking, you know, fashion. Like, I didn't know. Um, and, but, and frankly, like he wasn't selling a lot. And I was like, dude, I, I, I love this blazer. I'm in for it. Cause I was like helping run the reunion and I, you know, he brought all this stuff and I felt bad. I was like, Oh man, yeah, let me get some of this stuff. And then it just kind of explodes. Um, but it's a long story in the making and anybody, you know, I'm sure Andy would tell us like if, you know, it's not an overnight success. Um, but it starts small and it starts with, you know, hustling your stuff on a small scale basis while you, you know, still have income and, and you can do this stuff on the side and you should do it on the side and you should do it small to make sure that people want what you're selling. Uh, and then you listen to the poll, you know, people will tell you, Hey, we like this. We want more of this. Can you do this, but do it this way. And there's gotta be this kind of give and take that goes into how you build stuff. I mean, co-create it with your customers. Uh, and, and you see where there's traction and then the smart entrepreneur listens to the poll and adapts accordingly. Um, but we can do a lot of this stuff without creating risk for ourselves. Um, part of how we do it is by having domain expertise. Um, part of how we do it is by reducing the cost structure of, of what we think we need to build the thing. Um, and then, you know, doing it on a small scale and listening to our customers and they'll, they'll tell us what they need. I think it's important to also speak about this idea and this of self-determination, right? And that's something you talk about a lot, Todd. It's like, where do you want your life to look like? Like, why are you going into this? And then adjusting your cash flow, especially early on to accommodate that, you know, mm-hmm. simple living, right? Like I've talked to a lot of founders, unless you sell your company, let's be honest, or you have like a consulting firm or something with like really, really high margins, founders don't really make that much, especially mm-hmm. not in the early years. So this idea of, oh, you're going to go start this business. You're just going to make a ton of money right out the gate. I mean, the, the lucky few, the rest of them are out there hustling. That's what I know. I know. And, and, you know, Mike, we were talking about this because, you know, like we're talking about black entrepreneurs. We're talking about, you know, military veterans that haven't done this stuff. We're talking about, um, uh, you know, gay entrepreneur, you know, name the category. Right. But if you, if you don't have a mental model for how this has been done before, then number one, this is going to be hard. Right. Uh, because, because some people grow up in an environment where lots of people around them are starting businesses, or maybe you work in an environment where that's happening. You know, if you work at a technology startup in Silicon Valley, like you're going to see examples popping all around you of people that are pursuing interesting things in the technology sector. If you don't live in that ecosystem, then like, it's really hard to understand how that ecosystem works. Like I don't live in that ecosystem, you know? So I, so it's, it's a struggle for me to understand how that works. I mean, I can fake some of the language, but you know, the reality is like, that's not my world, but here's the other thing. Like, that's okay. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to make that my world. Uh, but how do you put yourself in an ecosystem where, you know, people are doing the, the kinds of things that you want to be doing? Um, and I think this question of passion is super important. Like, you know, I know for you, like you love boxing and you love teaching boxing. And for me, I love, you know, facilitating groups and talking about entrepreneurship and helping teach people how to start businesses. And so it, it's gotta be, I think this, if you, if, if, if money was taken away, if nothing else mattered, would I get up and choose to do the things that I'm doing? And if the answer is yes, then like, that's where you just got to keep going. You know, like if, if I didn't have a job and, and money was no issue, you know, like I would still enjoy getting up this morning, Mike, get my coffee and talking to you because this is what I'm excited about. And I think, you know, hopefully you would say the same thing. And, 
And if you're going to start something, that passion is important um, because two things are true. Number one, to your point, Mike, you're probably not going to get rich. And if that's the motivation, that's the wrong motivation. Number two, what I know is it takes time, you know, like Andy Dunn doesn't get to build Bonobos overnight. It's a 10 year success and you better like showing up with blazers and selling them and you better like talking about it and you better like fashion. You better like, you know, you better love doing this stuff because if you don't, then the business, forget you for a second. The business doesn't have the fuel it needs to keep going. The idea doesn't have the fuel it needs to keep going. And, uh, and so entrepreneurship, just to get back to this, it's not some like you wake up in the middle of the night and you have some brilliant idea. It's like, it's the thing that you can't help but think about all the time. You know, it's the thing that you're obsessed with, you know, to the point where other people don't understand it. They're like, oh man, you keep talking about this, you know? Uh, that's the fuel we need. It's that's how we kind of sustain this over years um, because it's, it takes years, you know? So we better be interested because uh, uh, if, if it's boring to us after a couple of conversations, like there, we don't have the, we don't have the fuel to keep going with the thing. And, and the fuel is what keeps us, it's what keeps us in the fight, but it's also what keeps the business going. So when closing today, Todd, what are some tangible takeaways our audience can have for defining risk like today? So number one is figure out what's making you sweat, what's making you nervous, write it down. If you think it's money, then here's the challenge. Number one, talk about what money you think you have to spend and then pull some people together and say, hey, do you have creative ways in which I could get these things done without spending money? You know, hey, I'm nervous about opening up a CrossFit gym because it's going to cost me, you know, $12,000 a month. We'll get people together. Hey, have you thought about organizing a CrossFit club in your alleyway? Oh, no. Okay, great. That's $12,000 you just got back in your pocket. So, like, a little bit of creativity here is going to go a long way. So, number one is figure out what's making you nervous. Identify the things that are making you nervous that then aren't financial. So, financial things you can solve for. And then figure out the things that are making you nervous that aren't financial. You got to get in your head a little bit. Like, what's making me nervous? Maybe I'm actually not expert at this. You know, maybe I'm actually nervous about <laughs> announcing that I'm a CrossFit trainer because I'm, I'm a little bit out of shape and I don't know if people are going to take me seriously right now. So ask yourself what's causing you uh, the stress. And if it's a fear of failure, here's, here's the other thing I want to say. You get to determine the time horizon. You know, like if you say, hey, I'm going to make one Facebook post and, and unless I get 10 people to sign up, then I'm a failure. Well, then you're setting yourself up for failure. If you say to yourself, I'm going to keep posting about this until I get 10 people to sign up then you get to control when the game ends, so to speak. And so time horizon is a variable. How long are you in this thing? You get to decide that. And as an entrepreneur, that's how you can kind of get rid of risk. And then just two other quick things. I mean, one is self-determination and simple living to your point, Mike. Like if, again, if money's holding you back, if time's holding you back, like look hard at your schedule, look hard at your finances, get a roommate, you know, downsize. Keep it simple. That's a big thing for entrepreneurs. We can do that. And then the last thing is just, uh, you know, the monopoly advantage. We're going to talk more. We've talked more about this. We're going to talk more about this. But, but the monopoly advantage, you can create an advantage for yourself. You can do something that's just different. And then that's part of how you de-risk it. You know, Mike Stedman, boxing in Newark 
is like a, a unique thing and he's the go-to guy and that's leverage that, you know, you create for yourself in this conversation. So there's a lot of ways to de-risk entrepreneurship. If you feel like it's risky and if you think that that's the big decision you got to make is, am I comfortable with the risk? You are having the wrong conversation in your head. We got to have a different conversation. We'll keep talking about it. Yeah. Todd, I really enjoy these. I really enjoy these. Man. I'm really enjoying this podcast. Uh, I think our listeners are going to have a lot of takeaways because the stuff we're talking about at the level we're talking about it, it just, I just feel like we're making it more inclusive. You know, I think a lot more people are going to be able to get in the game and enjoy the fruits of their labor through entrepreneurship. And I'm just excited to be a part of that journey with you. Yeah, buddy. Me too. All right. For our listeners, be sure to subscribe to the Third Shift Entrepreneur podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. Your reviews are greatly appreciated. Also, check out thirdshiftentrepreneur.com where you can purchase the book, sign up for our newsletter, and hear tips and pointers that will help you keep your day job while building your dream job. You can also purchase the book on Amazon, at Barnes & Nobles, and other major book outlets. Thanks for tuning in and see you on the next episode where we'll be discussing how doing is the new resume.